Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. My guest this week is exciting to talk about. So this week, we're going to discuss direct primary care and all that that whole concept entails. Um, If you're anything like me, even somebody in the healthcare space and treating patients and referring patients and just being in the ins and outs of healthcare, there's often some misconceptions and questions about what is direct primary care, how does it work, uh, all of that sort of thing. So my guest this week is Dr. Rob Lambert from Augusta, Georgia, and he is a direct primary care physician. He's also helped a few other practices in our local market uh, start up. So he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to direct primary care, how to how to get the business of healthcare and the patient's best interest aligned. So working on incentives and um, pricing models and structure and increasing increasing access and decreasing cost while at the same time improving the interaction between the physician, in this case, and the, and the client or the patient. So hopefully um, you pull a good bit away from this episode or this interview. Again, uh, without further ado, here's Dr. Rob Lamberts talking about direct primary care. Well, Rob, Dr. Rob, thanks for being on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Rafi. Awesome. Before we get started, why don't you tell us all a little bit about yourself, your professional background, and kind of how you came to be into the, the whole direct primary care space? Yeah, well, I've been a physician here in Augusta since 1994. I actually uh, trained, uh, did my medical school in Philadelphia at Jefferson, and then went to Indiana to do my residency, which is in internal medicine and pediatrics. I was board certified and board certified in both both of those specialties so it's basically primary care um, kind of a um, like a family care almost right? family family medicine on steroids in some ways yeah. because uh, I you know I got the double double board certification that just allows me to go a little more in depth on the two sides that interested me the most of, of, of primary care. Um, I came to Augusta in 94 and have been in primary care practice the whole time. I I was a member of of a a classic fee-for-service insurance-based practice for 18 years and and through a lot of circumstances, um, just differences of of practice style, other things that things just didn't work out between me uh, and the the partners of the, the practice that I was in. Um, and so um, decided to go our separate ways. Um, and as I was looking at um, as I was looking at the practice options, um, you know, my my focus uh, when I was in practice and the, the other practice was um, a patient-centered care. Just basically frustrated with the fact that the healthcare system was. Uh, forcing me to choose between what was best for the business of medicine for me, which was to see as many patients as possible, to spend as little time with them as possible, to have people as sick as possible, to bring people in for the whatever reason, whether it's as many tests as you could bill as possible, right? Exactly. So doing all of those types of things um, and wrecking up the care, uh, but not really care. I, I I began to feel like I was spending so much time doing that. And then there's the whole documentation side of thing that now dominates healthcare. Um, that that um, it just felt like I was 
despite having over 2,000 patients, I was not really able to give any of them good care. Um, and so I was looking for a different model. I wasn't just wanting to go back to, to what I was doing. Um, and I stumbled upon direct primary care, which is, it's not really a new model per se, um, but it's a new take on, on a, an old model. Um, yeah. So why don't, why don't you kind of explain for somebody that doesn't know what, what is, when we say direct primary care, what do we mean by that today? Yeah. People, people often say, well, is that the same as concierge medicine? Um, because they've heard about concierge, yeah. which is usually a higher end, uh, higher cost healthcare. Um, and, and, you know, rich people sign up and they pay a lot of doctors and they get uh, a lot of money. They get access to them. And, and they get access to the doctor anytime they want and get extra special care. It's kind of like riding first class. Um, and this is different than that for several reasons. First off is the cost is a lot lower. Um, direct primary care averages um, uh, under $100 a month, uh, and, and my average cost is more toward $50, 50, between $50 and $60 per month, depending on the age of the, of the patient, um, as low as $35 per month, actually. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, and then the, um, the other difference is that, that as opposed to concierge care, will a lot of times still bill insurance, um, and then they'll do for an uninsurable, the, the, um, there's a part that, that insurance doesn't pay for that they, they're able to, to do uh, a fee for, a monthly fee or something like that. In direct primary care, you basically get rid of all insurance. Um, you don't want the patient to get rid of insurance, but in terms of the, the care that you're giving, that I'm giving, uh, my patients pay me for it once a month and that's it. And it has nothing, I, I don't accept money from insurance companies. Um, I, we will, will work with insurance companies to make sure the patient gets you know, the, the specialty care that they need, the hospital care that they need, or the procedures and that type of stuff. But in terms of paying primary care, which is really, it's kind of silly that, that it's insured anyway, because it's not expensive. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's nothing that, that I can do that'll rack up a thousand dollar bill as a primary care doctor, as opposed to specialists where, yeah, you know, like an you orthopedic can, surgeon or something like that. Yeah. yeah. You can go through $20,000 with the hospital, you know, with just a one procedure. Um, so, um, you know, I, I'd say it's, it's a lot like, um, auto insurance covering, you know, gas in your car or oil changes or tires. I mean, why do we do that? Well, we don't do that because it's just not expensive enough. So I'm paid by my patients. And instead of being paid per visit, I'm paid once a month. And that's it. I don't charge beyond that. So the two central things are the monthly payment and the pay being paid by, by the directly. patients directly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So kind of this concierge model that you described earlier, it's kind of above and beyond. You're still, the doctor's still billing insurance and then they're doing extra stuff that their insurance won't pay for. So then they're just tacking on a fee. Exactly. And when it comes and to you, you're kind of getting just, you're, they're paying a flat rate and that gives them access to you and you're doing primary services, but you're not billing any insurance. Right. Right. Okay. And, and people will say, so what keeps people from coming in 20, well, 10 times 50 times, times a month? in a month, yeah. 50, yeah. Well, first off, it's a doctor's office. Why would you go to the doctor's <laughs> office that often? I mean, yeah, we're trying to stay out I of could, there. If somebody said I could go to the dentist, uh, you know, 50 <laughs> times a month, I would say, well, gosh, thanks a lot. You know, I'm still not going to go. Uh, you know, it's it's not, I mean, it, has to, it takes a special kind of crazy to to go to the doctor that often. Um, I, I think the, the key is that, that when we do that, when we separate the care from the payment, in other words, we, we separate the volume of care from the payment, uh, then what it does is it enables us to do remote care. It enables patients to send us text messages and ask us questions. It enables patients to us to do phone, phone call medicine or, 
or video visits. Uh, it enables us to, to not worry about how it's going to get paid. Uh, and, and then if we say, well, you know, for example, a woman has typical urinary tract infection symptoms, you know, and she gets it once a year uh, and she calls in and we can either just say, look, let's just treat it. Um, we don't have to bring them in if it's if she's sure she's got it and, and if it's not that frequent. But if it's more frequent, we can just bring her in and do a urinalysis and then have her leave. The fact is that my office is pretty, pretty empty most of the time. Uh, and, uh, and so we can do things pretty without making people wait. Yeah. Uh, and so we can do things at people's convenience. Um, and, and that really has enabled us to, to decrease the amount of office visits in the, in, in the office. I used to maybe say average between 25 and 30 office visits per day in my old practice. Now at most, um, pre-COVID-19, I was seeing uh, between eight and 12 patients on average. And at most, I, I don't think I've ever seen more than 15 patients in a day. Holy cow. Um, so it's so I'm a assuming big difference. part of that too, part of that trade-off is you're spending more time with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. New patients, I spend an hour with, with a oh, new wow. patient in the office and half an hour for all the other visits. Um, half an hour is allotted. I mean, if somebody just has an ear infection or a strep throat, then it will take me five minutes, but uh, it, it, it allows me to spend that extra time and ask extra questions and, and just to, to listen. And, yeah. and that works really well. Yeah, I think you, you've hit a, a top on a lot of those topics, like the, this whole productivity or metrics-driven healthcare being kind of a big, giant, soul-crushing machine, right? Right. <laughs> and you've, you've kind of just stepped out of that. How does that work as far as, let's say, you know, Susie Smith does have a, a UTI and she needs medicine or she needs an antibiotic or something like that. Does she still require some kind of insurance? You said they're not canceling. So how, do that, how does that you know, carry over? Let's say you're not in network, you're not accepting their insurance. Will an insurance provider still pay for the pay for the prescription? Well, first off, for an antibiotic, antibiotics are real cheap. Uh, uh -huh. And one of the things our office does is we actually also dispense medications, oh, meaning okay. we, we act like the pharmacy for patients. And so for our patients, if they say need Bactrim or Cipro from us for, for a UTI, it's two dollars. Uh, you can get oh, it from wow. us for two dollars, uh, and or a ZPAC for a strip and have throat. like a twenty dollar copay, right? Exactly, exactly. Or at like blood pressure medicine, we can do for seventy five cents a month or a dollar a month. Um, and we, and, and the fact is that I am, I'm financially motivated to do that to keep the price as low as I possibly can. And the reason for that, um, and I tell patients directly, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to hide things. I, my goal is to make things so ridiculously cheap as far as medications or lab tests. You know, I can do a, 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 a blood chemistry test for $4. I can do a blood chem, a CBC for about $4, thyroid test for $8. All of those things, I can't, I got the price as low as I possibly can. And so then if what happens is I, my, my business model depends entirely upon the monthly fee. And if I make it so that the patients can't afford to not pay me every month, that's, that's the secret sauce. I keep things cheap. I am you know, convenient uh, in terms of people being able to get an appointment on the same day. There's very few days uh, where my schedule is full ahead of time, um, even, even in the busiest of times. Um, and so that allows me to, to take care of people very rapidly and, and get things. So convenience, um, responsiveness, um, low price and predictable price. And, and so, but to answer the question you're saying is what happens if they have an expensive medicine that I got to send off to the pharmacy and such? And the insurance companies do cover it. There, there's very few insurance companies that require the physician to be on the panel for them or to be able to, um, for them to be able to prescribe or do a referral. So if somebody needs to see a specialist, we can do that. We can get prior authorizations. I, you know, again, 
unfortunately, it a lot of the bureaucracy that goes with um, with healthcare is not eliminated from our standpoint, but we're no longer. I mean, that's all part of the monthly fee, so we're actually getting paid to do that. Uh, and so now, and and the only other thing is, let's say there's an expensive medicine. Um, you know, somebody has psoriasis and there's these thousand dollar drugs that you yeah. can do or rheumatoid arthritis. How did, how does somebody, how do you do that? Well, we, we have one of my nurses, uh, specializes really in, in, um, getting, um, medication for free from the drug companies. If, if the person's income oh, wow. <laughs> is, is below a certain level, you can get it for free from, and, and it doesn't take the poverty level, it's like sixty to eighty thousand dollars per year income. Oh, so you could still be for, making a decent income. And you can still get free medicine. Uh, but we just have to fill out the paperwork and, and take care of it that way. And and yeah, it works out. Yeah, and because part of it is you're getting paid monthly no matter what, you can spend, you know, staff resources and time on those quote unquote non billable billable yeah. activities, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's circle back then a little bit just to the whole idea of productivity-based healthcare and metrics-based healthcare. I think you've done some writing or some thinking about it because you're in direct primary care now, but how do you see the incentive structure in traditional-based healthcare, you know, where you're billing insurance and you're kind of in that world, and how does that compare to kind of what you've described where you're almost financially incentivized to make it super, super cheap so people will stay with you? Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say there are two things. And, and this is, it's really the truth that as a doctor, I was in the past, I was really being forced to choose between giving high quality healthcare, which means spending time with the patient, listening, um, you know, uh, not, you know, taking care of problems early before they become big problems, um, handling, handling problems without forcing people to come into the office, those types of things that if I did all of that, that was for the patient's best interest, I was rewarded by not getting paid as much. I was yeah. rewarded by getting having a lower salary, uh, and 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 essentially, I was forced as a doctor to choose between what's best for the patient and what's best for my business. You know, and and it sounds like well, you should be selfish. You shouldn't be so selfish. I mean, let's put it this way: I had to choose between sending my, you know, paying for my kid's college fund or or saving for retirement. And I mean, primary care is not that well reimbursed of a field in general. I mean, exactly, doctor, primary right. care doctors are, are not in un, under the poverty level, but, but they're not like paid like cardiologists or, or orthopedic surgeons or ophthalmologists. We're, we're the kind of the lower end as far as doctors are concerned. And so you really did struggle uh, financially if you didn't run the mill and run patients through it and keep your waiting room full and make people wait this has flipped it around that I'm paid the same if my office is empty that if my office is full. And so I'm motivated to handle problems effectively and efficiently to, to keep people away from the office, which means that if they're healthy and they're happy with the service they're getting, that's the ideal. Uh, and then they're going to continue to pay me on a monthly basis. Uh, and then when I'm needed, then they can reach out to me and get the care that they need. So um, this is, uh, I mean, the, the motivations are in one, in, in the old style of medicine in the fee for service world, the motivations are, are against what the motivations of the patients are, what the desires of my patients were. Yeah. Now it's aligned exactly that I'm, I'm again, save money to save time, to be effective, to be efficient, to spend time with people when they need to have time spent with them, um, to be responsive. All of those things are things that I am rewarded for. Um, and I will say financially, I'm in a better situation than I was when I was in my old practice. Oh, um, really? And, yeah. Nice. And I'm still and in, in, I've got about 800 patients, actually a little over 800 patients right now. 
Um, and the rate at which people leave the practice is extremely low. Um, it's about 1% per month. Uh, oh, wow. Is, yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm sure part of that is because of the, of the, they're just general experience with it, right? Like they have increased access yeah. to you. They're not waiting as long. They feel like they're getting heard and listened to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. They're not used to getting a bargain uh, and not in healthcare. They, they're not, <laughs> yeah. In healthcare, they're not used to walking out of there feeling they got listened to and they got their needs met. And yet we're motivated to do all of those types of things to make people go, huh, wow. Uh, you know, we like to say that, that we used to say, I'm sorry a lot uh, in, in healthcare. I'm sorry that I made you wait. I'm sorry for all this stuff. Now it's constantly, you're welcome. Um, you know, we're always telling people, you know, they're so grateful and they come in the first time and they're looking around and they're like, okay, what's the catch? I said, the catch is that you pay us every month. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's it. And we tell you the catch ahead of time. So and you can predict your cost. And, you know, the ideal is to pair a direct care practice with a high deductible health plan uh, so that you your insurance can be less. You don't need all the uh, and then you have somebody looking after your health to try and keep you from spending your deductible. Uh, and then maybe have an HSA account in the middle. That's kind of the that's the to me that the perfect storm for, for, for healthcare. Yeah. So from a, just a logistical standpoint, your fees, do those count towards deductibles often or not? That's no, kind of outside of no. the purview. It's totally outside of that. In fact, until recently, you couldn't even use your HSA cards um, or you weren't supposed to use your HSA card. Some people still did that for our services. I, it, it was just one of those strange healthcare rules. I, I think it's because there Welcome was some confusion. Right? <laughs> well, there was some confusion as to whether or not we were offering insurance. Uh, that, oh, that, I see. And so one of the one of the early on concerns, and I, I started seven and a half years ago, so there there were a lot more legal concerns then than there are now, because as opposed to about about um, about a hundred practices when I started. In fact, less than 100 practices when I started. Now there's probably about 1,500 in the U.S. There, there's, there's, there's a lot of practices, and they're coming up all over at this point in time. So, um, but so the legal um, precedent has really been set in most states where where direct care is no longer even confused with an insurance thing. So, so they've kind of put that away. But you know, again. Some people are like, well, I got insurance, so I'm going to go see um, someone in network, right? Somebody in network. And it's like, okay, see you later. And I will see them later because they're going to go back and realize that just because you get insurance doesn't mean you need to get bad health care. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like, okay, so I'm going to wait in the waiting room and I'm going to spend five minutes with the doctor and I'm only going to be able to tell them one problem at a time. And all of these types of things. And, and, and then uh, I'm going to get a surprise bill a month later for you know, a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, right. There are no surprises in our practice. Yeah. Have, have you had any experience dealing with folks like, you know, my family and I are like on a, on a health share plan because we're mm -hmm. self-employed and that's what we do. Does that interface well with something like a, a direct primary care service where the patient is already kind of used to paying out of pocket a little bit yeah. for their services, yeah. you know? In fact, in fact, there are, there are a number of health share plans that will give you a discount if you use a direct care doctor. Oh, uh, that, that, yeah, there's Liberty uh, was one, Sidera is another one. There's, there's a number of, of, of the health shares, which are basically co-ops. Um, and, uh, um, and they're, um, it's, it's an ideal pairing actually because it's it's keeping the cost down and the health shares realize that direct care we tend to underutilize you know we want to keep people out of the hospital we want to keep people away from specialists we want to do those types of things and we have the time to do that um, because we're not overwhelmed with with how how busy things are uh, so. yeah you don't have the volume and you're also like you said kind of incentivized to keep it down yeah 
from a like a, an access to you or maybe even just the kind of the philosophy of care, it almost sounds like you're you're almost moving away or maybe you already in your mind have already done that moving away from like a reactive form of care to maybe even a model that allows more health promotion and wellness, oh, yeah. right? Oh, absolutely. You have a lot of your patients that are are really or clients at this point that are they they don't they're not sick when they see you or they reach out to you. It's more like I'm thinking about this or maybe I'm make, trying to make this change in my life, this healthy sure. lifestyle change or something. Absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, I just had a patient who has liver disease who said, "Can I just sent me a text message? Can I take this and this supplement?" And you know, she would never be able to reach out to her doctor in the other practice, so she'd have to set up an appointment. She just sends a text message and and I answer it. It's that's it. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that if, if people feel like, um, well, let me, let me back up. When I was first doing this, I was trying to think through the whole business model and I had read some books and talking about, um, uh, minimum viable products. You know, what is the minimum viable product? What is, what are people actually buying when they come to see me? Um, and so I just was trying to think through because there was so much that I wanted to do and I was just trying to figure it out because honestly, when I was doing it, there weren't a lot of other people to base, base my model on. So I kind of had to make it up. Um, and, and there was a lot that I had these dreams of, of, of care. And what I realized is the thing that people want more than anything from their doctor is access. They want to have access to the doctor. They want to have ac- when when they need it. They want to have access to to the to the nursing staff. They want to be able to come and get seen when they need to be seen. They 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 want access, and that's really what we do. And you know, our logo is an open door, uh, and it's that that's why it's it's because it's like. Yeah, it's not stay away, stay away, stay away, or you can only come in. You have to come in, but you're going to have to wait forever. And yeah, we've you got can't an appointment answer, in three ask, weeks. <laughs> yeah, or you can't ask too many questions. We're just basically like, okay, what do you need? You know, anything else? You know, that happens a lot where people are, you're just like, is there anything else you need? Is there any other problem? Um, and and they're just not used to hearing that where where somebody is is actually taking the time, and it's because I've got the time. Yeah. Well, and it, it does kind of speak to that point, like what what do people really buy or what do they want from their healthcare providers? You know, there's a lot of literature out there in the on the interwebs and through peer-reviewed published research at this point that kind of that kind of validates that and says regardless of clinical skills and clinical abilities, I mean, obviously competence, clinical competence needs to be the baseline. <laughs> We're not right. paying for people to be lower than, than clinically competent. But once you're competent, all the research indicates that what people value in their healthcare is, is that, just the access and then the interpersonal skills of their clinician, right? Like you want to be able to talk to your doctor and feel like they're hearing you and listening to you and empathetic. That's and all that. huge. Listening is, is a skill that in healthcare has unfortunately gone away. And I've I get frustrated because I hear people say, you know, you're, you're really the first doctor who's ever really listened to me. And it's like, you know, that's like saying you're the first chef that ever cooked food for me. It, it seems <laughs> to me, it seems to me that, that if, you know, it's kind of in our job description to sit down and listen to what our people are saying to us. And yet, and yet people don't feel listened to by their doctors because their doctors are busy looking at the medical record. They're busy looking at yeah. the, 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 you know, all of the stuff that, that they should have been, you know, anyway, it's just, yeah. Uh, all or of they're this, listening you know, they, for, they're, they're listening for specific things, right? Like you come in for re for, you know, ch- chest pain or shoulder pain or something like that. And they've got a specific thing that they're listening for so they can figure out what to code. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about coding. It's all about billing. It's all about checking the boxes. Um, and, uh, you know, again, with the COVID-19 stuff, we were able to shift on a dime uh, and do way more virtual care. Um, and and so as the volume dropped down, our office, I mean, our income didn't drop at all. Um, in fact, far fewer people were were canceling, you know, not people would, they're not going to say, well, gosh, during the health crisis is not, you know, it's really not the best time to, to, 
stop having access to the doctor at any exactly time I yeah uh, and so so we saw almost no patients during the first month of of the the pandemic that the we saw almost no patients um, leave the practice and and we were able to do do video visits and and phone call visits and you know and then occasionally have people coming in our office but but it didn't hurt us financially like it is a lot of practices and it didn't really change the way that we were doing things all that much. It, 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 it actually was kind of a continuation of the same. I just focused a lot more on education, um, explaining to my, writing stuff that my patients could read uh, that talked about, you know, COVID-19 and what to expect and, you know what? What does it mean to wear a mask, and what's the benefit yeah. of that? And what yeah. things? Can when you to wear do? them? When not to wear them? All that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you have the time because you're getting paid no matter what, right? To exactly. to put out some of that, you know, for lack of a better word, a public service message or public service content for your folks. Absolutely. And I know from just from me seeing your interactions online and seeing what you're posting, like I'm not even one of your patients and I'm getting the benefit of it. Right. right. Like how, right. how much different would the world be if every doctor had the ability to kind of sit down and crank out a 15 minute read or something like that, a five minute read right. on, on the current public health issues that they're facing or in their specialty. That's awesome. Right. And, and honestly, that's called marketing on my part. I make it available to everybody because gosh, people are far more likely to join my practice if they realize that I'm, willing to give information and, and, and just say, look, I don't care. It's just share good information with, with people. Um, and, and then they're like, this is not normal healthcare. And the answer is, yeah, it should be. Yeah. Um, but, but it isn't because people don't One one of the things that, that I've, I said from the very start is that people don't clamor for better healthcare enough and the reason they don't is because they don't realize how bad the care that they're getting is and the reason they don't know how bad the care that they're getting is is because they don't know how good the care could be um, and they oh, just yeah. have these low expectations of care they it's normal to wait an hour no that's wrong it's normal to to not get an appointment on the same day that if you call in the morning with a sore throat you're gonna to have to wait a lot longer they'll have to work you in in our office it's like okay can you stop by at you know 10 and we'll just do a quick <laughs> strep test on you and they're like yeah okay okay well we'll see you then um, you know, that's when they call first thing in the morning and have a sore throat. Sometimes we don't even, I, you know, and then if I need to see them, I'll just pop in and see them. But I mean, I don't, I don't, the average wait time is still well under 15 minutes. Um, it's probably five to 10 minutes at the most. I was about um, saying that in and of itself is pretty incredible for a primary care physician. Yeah. Yeah. And I think how much you, so you kind of mentioned this, I kind of want to hit on this a little bit, how much of your initial startup or even that you feel now questions, concerns, just misunderstandings from the public. Because like you said, you know, even to take something like my example and going into health share and people are talking to me like, oh my gosh, you don't have insurance? Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, like yeah. there's this big, huge misunderstanding or this fear almost of like, I don't have insurance and that, you know, we can't get health care. And it's even, you know, mm -hmm. driving some of the national you know, we're not going to get into politics with some of the national debate and dialogue about what is healthcare and what do we mean by access to healthcare and all that. A lot of people kind of lump it in with insurance. So do you find yourself having to do a lot of education to your, to your patients or potential um, patients or do the ones that come um, to you have already kind of just opted, you know, forget this. Now it's a lot less. Out. Hang on a quick second. My, my Roomba decided to turn on right now. Thank <laughs> There you go. Got to have those clean rooms, right? Uh, it's nice to have. Um, <laughs> I don't have to, at first it was all education. People were like, well, so I, I, I don't need insurance. No, you do still need insurance. Again, it's just this education as to what primary care the role of primary care is, um, and 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 the 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 idea for me has always been, let's 
serve as a defense against the rest of the healthcare system of overuse of specialists, of overuse of emergency rooms or urgent care, where, where way too many things are being done. You come in with a cough and you immediately get a chest x-ray. Why? Because it raises the revenue of the business. That's the reason they do all those tests. And, and most of it's not necessary. And, and I will boil it down to the very necessary tests. And I won't underutilize because if I hurt my patients, well, that's not very good. Yeah. You know, People don't <laughs> want to feel like they're getting suboptimal care and they're paying me directly. Um, and so they, I'm, I'm accountable to them, not to the insurance company um, and such. And so um, the, the re-education is a lot less. And I, you know, part of that too is just the um, word of mouth from people nowadays. I mean, I don't, I don't have to market at all anymore because I've got, I've got 800 current patients and I got tons of past patients who, you know, moved out or, but, or anyway, they, for whatever reason, they're not seeing me anymore. Uh, but they're telling everybody to, to go see me because, you know, Oh yeah. It's well, just that's so a statement even of itself that your oh, ex patients yeah. are still telling people go see him. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, there there's, it's funny. Cause you look online, uh, my online reviews are fun because there's, they're all, they're all positive. The only negative one was a guy who I didn't give narcotics to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. It. He was like, it's unfair. He gave pain medicines to so-and-so and not to me. And I, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, well, totally different circumstance, but it doesn't matter. It, if it, That's almost a, to me, the, the one uh, negative uh, one that I got was actually turned out to be a positive from my standpoint of like, yeah. yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, oh, you so mean I wasn't overwhelmingly. Okay. I mean, it's the, the, um, the affection that I get from my patients, the loyalty, um, you know, back when I was, I was like the third year I was in practice. Uh, one of the local MRI places had a, best doctor contest and and they did it just on facebook voting on facebook and i put it up on my facebook page and my patients just they you know just stuffed the ballot box it was like i got 60 votes and other doctors got two you know it was, it was crazy <laughs> but they're so they're they're almost evangelical about telling everybody uh, you know how how much better it is to be in in the direct care practice and and mind you there are two other direct care practices in town that i'm actually affiliated with um yeah you're kind of helping plant the seeds all over the place right yeah yeah i don't i my practice is actually pretty full i don't need to grow that much and so ed boland actually is a, a family doc who came in and he's, he's actually working out of my office he he's actually has a separate business for now we'll probably eventually merge practices but but both of us have gone through partnerships that were stressful so we're both being cautious um oh, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and so but ed is growing his practice and doing really well and 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 then Davis, uh, Melick, and, and Rachel uh, are both some PAs, and 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 uh, in yeah, their yeah, yeah, I've met them. And they are great people. They are so sharp, and they're such good providers. They're such good. Um, in fact, Ed and I say, yeah, they're they're definitely smarter than we are. Um, <laughs> they are. They really are. They are incredibly sharp and very thorough. Um, and I send my kids to them actually. Um, and, uh, I, I fully trust their care. Uh, so we have options around the city, uh, for folks, um, you know, my practice right now, I'm really limiting the number of new patients that I have because first off, I don't want to grow so much that I'm not able to give the quality of care. Um, and the second is that I want to be able to say, Hey, but there is Dr. Boland and there is, yeah, there are other uh, people Evans, in the area. Evans direct care. So, um, I want to feed their practices because we want this idea to grow. Yeah, no, I think because, you know, we've been kind of talking about it this whole time, like the incentive structure is different, even like the whole piece about insurance. Like if you think about what insurance was when it first came out was not, like you said, putting gas in your car, you know, it's for when your car gets T-boned running through a stop sign or something like that. 
So this idea of being able to utilize the insurance for what it's supposed to be, which is those catastrophic events and then using out-of-pocket payment to get the, you know, the, the regular everyday kind of care that, like you said, isn't that expensive, especially at what, 35 bucks, 60 bucks a month or something like that is right. pretty incredible. Right. Have you heard of outside of like primary care, have you heard of any other organizations or disciplines even like ancillary healthcare providers moving into this kind of space? Um, yes, I've heard of it. Um, you know, we, you know, one of the reasons that, that, that we want to, we want to grow uh, direct care is if we, let's say we had five practices or 10 doctors in the Augusta area, well, then we could basically keep a physical therapist, occupational therapist. Uh, we could keep a, uh, you know, we could keep specialists busy. Uh, and, you know, we could, we could be giving uh, under that blanket, we could be having, have a gym or have other types of things available, have a dietitian. Um, there's all sorts of things that, that we could do. And then the question is, what about subspecialties? Well, the, the pure procedural subspecialties like, um, um, you know, surgery or, yeah. you know, those types of things, eh, that might not work. That's a little bit unattainable but, at this point, right? <laughs> but something like, like dermatology, some, something like neurology, rheumatology, endocrinology, you know, those things are much less, those are much more, um, and certainly counselors, uh, um, yeah, mental health lot, providers. Yeah. To be able to pull in mental health as part of the overall practice. That to me is one of those things that I'd love to see down the road because then you're able to offer, um, under the auspices, under the umbrella of your monthly fee, you're able to offer uh, a lot more care. Um, and, and, you know, again, truthfully, a lot of what I do is uh, amateur psychiatry. Well, it would be, you know, really <laughs> nice to be able to pull in a, a counselor to be able to help these people so that, you know, those anxiety-driven problems, I'm not having to manage as much. And then I have the chance to grow the practice even more because we have good care. Um, we've talked about pulling in x-ray or pulling in, um, you know, ultrasound or, um, there's a lot of folks doing, doing those types of things across the country and, and yeah, so like the, private the imaging is, centers and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and lastly, one of the things that, that, um, is again, part of the, the thought process is what if we, you know, there's, there's, there's some surgery centers around the country. They're starting to pop up. The closest one is in Charlotte. Um, but the famous one is in Oklahoma city. Uh, these are, these are surgery centers that are uh, basically cash only. They are able to do a gallbladder surgery at a quarter of the cost because really the overhead of having the hospital involved of having yeah, all compliance companies involved, having all of those types of things. But if you pay cash for it directly, then the overall cost goes way, way down. And you're able to really do it for about a quarter of the cost that you would normally do. And so with the health shares, some of the health shares even direct yeah. people towards these, these uh, um, uh, types of things. <laughs> One of them, we were talking to a, a another group that was doing direct care, but it was it was a larger organization that was kind of directing direct primary care. Um, and you know, one of the things they they were able to do is fly some uh, patients down to Aruba to get a prescription for some of these really oh, you know, wow. ten thousand dollar a month <laughs> medicines, and they can get them for like two hundred dollars in Aruba. And so they can put them up in a four-star, uh, five-star place uh, and, and then have them get three months of medicine and then fly back. And they save thousands and thousands of dollars that way. Uh, it was just so funny. The, yeah. the, all these a different vacation things. and your health. Yeah. 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 And so they're able to, but you know, the, the nice thing is once you pull the insurance rules and especially once you pull Medicare out of it, you can there are no rules that you have to follow. You just need to give good care. Um, and, and that's the thing is yeah. I don't have Focused to on the obey all those rules that say, no, you got to document this way. Otherwise you don't get paid. You have to do all these things. Otherwise, you know, 
I'm answerable to the person who's sitting across from me. And that to me is, that's the ideal. Yeah. And, and I will say that I am so much happier doing it this way. <laughs> and my patients are so much happier. My nurses are just so grateful that, that I'm doing it this way, that, that they're able to, to give better care. And, and it's just a better situation. Yeah. Now you mentioned Medicare there. Is there, I know like with cash-based physical and occupational therapy clinics, there's this huge thing around, you know, Medicare, you can't charge a Medicare patient cash for a service that Medicare already provides. Does primary care fit under that? Or how do you address that with, with Medicare patients? We have opted out of Medicare. So it doesn't, it, oh, you okay. know, I opted out of Medicare and that was the very difficult decision uh, to make, um, that, that do I, um, what do I do as far as, as when I opted out of Medicare, it felt scary. It felt freeing, um, but <laughs> it, it, it felt scary. And so in terms of, of, yeah, if I was, if I was still, um, listed under Medicare, if I was still, uh, uh, um, able to bill for Medicare, then no, I could not, uh, accept the monthly fee. But as long as I've opted out, I'm fine. Oh, okay. Well, that makes it easy then. Just opt yep. out. <laughs> yep. All righty. Well, we're we're ready to wrap up here. Are there any last minute thoughts that you would have to share with our audience about just direct primary care in general and direct access to healthcare? Um, yeah, I, I just think that people need to open their mind to other options. Um, we get this idea that uh, when I we have equated healthcare with insurance. Um, and so we say this is a healthcare bill. The, you know, ACA was a healthcare bill. No, it wasn't. It was a health it was insurance, an insurance bill. bill yeah. uh, and, and it had nothing to do with care. I mean, it, it had to do with payment of the care, the, the affordable, the, the, the access to care, it has to do with the unaffordability of the care. And so I think as we shift our mindset that says, okay, Healthcare doesn't have to be that. And certainly this idea of primary care requiring insurance, that's something that needs to go. It really needs to go because what you're doing is putting uh, primary care doctors under the thumb of insurance companies uh, and, and, or under the hospitals who employ yeah, them. Who are buying um, the, these primary care physicians. Are, yeah, and, yeah, and they have primary care physicians for one reason to feed the hospital and feed the specialist. They are, it's for revenue, revenue, revenue. It's all about money. Uh, and so if the primary care keeps people away from seeing the specialist, keeps people out of the hospital, then it's actually hurting the hospitals. And so they don't want you doing that. They would far rather you just refer everybody. Um, and, and that's not the care anybody deserves. It's not the care that anybody wants. And so, um, you know, I just think, people resetting in their minds what healthcare should look like and being able to reimagine it. And you now it sounds too good to be true. And yet, you know, people say, well, how do you compare your life before doing this? And now it's like, well, before I was underwater, barely able to get to the surface and breathe a little bit and then sinking again. And now I'm sitting on the beach with a mimosa and uh, you know, it's like it to say to, there's no way I could ever, ever go back to that care. And I'm doing so and making my patients happier. I'm earning a better income. I'm giving better care. I, there's really not that there's no downside. Yeah, it's a no brainer choice, right? Yeah, it really is. All right. Well, Dr. Rob, thank you for, for sharing your time with us. Um, if people want to follow up with you, kind of learn more about you, your practice, or direct primary care in general, where would you send them? Um, well, if you do Facebook, my Facebook page is real active. I've got a whole bunch. So it's just look at Dr. Rob Lambert's, uh, Lambert's with an S at the end, uh, or go to my website, which is Dr. Lambert's. Uh, it's D-O-C-T-O-R-L-A-M-B-E-R-T-S dot O-R-G. Uh, and, and just Google Dr. Rob Lambert, so you'll be able to find me. All righty. Thank you very much, sir. All right, Robert. Thanks a lot. Right. Well, that was Dr. Rob Lambert, a direct primary care physician here 
in Augusta, where I'm located. Hopefully you found that interview insightful and pulled some nuggets from it. I think the model of primary care, direct primary care like that, where there's a flat fee and you've basically access to your clinician is something that works whether you're in primary care as a physician or whether you're in ancillary healthcare services like physical therapy or occupational therapy or speech language pathology or something like that. The idea of being able to offer basically open door access to a select number of clients just seems very appealing to me. You're taking the whole idea of productivity-based healthcare where metrics and numbers drive a lot of the decisions and you're taking that away like Dr. Ra- Dr. Rob said, you know, he gets paid whether his patients are showing up and utilizing his services or not. And I think that just allows a little bit more freedom for him to spend more time with those with those patients, with those clients. He's also limiting the number of people he's allowing or clients that he's allowing in his practice. So again, there's that decreased volume aspect. So he's able to provide that one-on-one service. He's able to provide a little bit extra time, get down to the precipitating factors. If you're in the musculoskeletal orthopedic world, you're, you're likely uh, familiar with that term. You know, it doesn't do us any good to do manual therapy or to do uh, joint mobilizations or address the symptoms that a client might be experiencing, let's say in chronic low back pain or, or shoulder pain, and not address those precipitating factors. Because what's going to happen is the patient's going to go, they're going to leave your clinic after you do those manipulations, after you do those treatments that are addressing kind of the symptoms, and they're going to feel great, and then they're going to leave, and the next day they're going to feel bad again, right? So by aligning his incentives, so to speak, in his business with basically the needs of the patient, he's able to spend that time and drill down into those precipitating factors with patients when they need it, you know, and whether or not they use his services five times or whether they're using his services once, you know, every other month, he's still getting paid. He's still able to provide the services to the clients who need them when they need them. And he's not pressured to get patients in to run tests, to do all kinds of you know, quote unquote, get their units, their billable units for patients in his clinic. So it's a great model. If you're interested in doing that, I know there's a bunch of physical therapists and occupational therapists moving in that direction as well. If you happen to be in the rehab space and you want to look into that, it is definitely a possibility. With that being said, we will see you on the next episode. If you like what we're doing, head on over to iTunes, give us a rating and review. I'd love for you to subscribe and get these episodes on your device whenever we drop a new one. We drop them every two weeks. You can also go to our website, thebetteroutcomes.show, betteroutcomes.show, and sign up for the email list there, and we will send a transcript and the show post directly to your inbox. Until the next episode, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.RehabUPracticeSolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.